Hello everybody and welcome to This Game Where with me, Ashley, and me, Chris. Hello everyone. That was very... Hello me, hello you. Very up and down, Ashley. Yeah, you make me explain this every time I start an episode and I'm not, I'm not doing it. I like the clarity. The clarity? Yeah, just to understand what's going through your head when you do it. The same thing, the same thing that goes through my head every night, Pinky. <laughs> nice. You all right? Yes, I'm grand, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. What are you doing today? For the second week in a row, I'm more I'm more preoccupied with finding us somewhere to eat than I am actually with the episode. So sorry, everybody. But we're seeing each other on Thursday, so the day this episode comes out. So next week we're back to business as usual, with you actually having full attention. So that'll be something to look forward to. Yeah. Full attention. Is it one of your episodes next week? Uh. Yeah. Oh, okay. Maybe not then. <laughs> is that is that the banter section over? Should we just go straight into the episode? Well, I was thinking about it, but I was also going to ask you if you've been playing anything good lately. We got uh, Lego Harry Potter on the Switch when it was on sale a couple of weeks ago, so my daughter's been playing that, which is good. Just another Lego game. Good? Yeah. At the time, that was actually, I think, one of the better lego games but i think it's been superseded since um marvel superheroes which i know you have played yeah well it's the years one to four and then years five to seven it's both them together uh it was down to 15 pounds which is very reasonable for the two separate games which i completed both of back in the day and yeah it's it's weird because she's playing through levels and i genuinely remember the level step by step i used to do this next which is a very strange sensation but uh yeah it's like you say it's it's pretty good but it has been bettered since uh, what about you um yes i have been but i can't remember what it's very memorable whatever it was no they are some i'm playing something but uh i can't remember what it is so there we go slight amount of cool. uh, early onset dementia cool story in there oh okay uh, what i will say is have you I, I will ask you a question have you seen or heard of a game called the procession to calvary no okay why it's a game that i haven't played yet it came to the xbox game pass last week i think last thursday and it's an adventure game but it's all based around it's the artwork the art style is all based around my old paintings it looks really cool it it kind of has a bit of a you know the monty python animated sections oh that is it from a while ago and it's only just going to game pass something because it sounds familiar i do not know when it actually released it i just it caught my eye and i watched the trailer and it looked real good so me and hannah are going to be playing that soon yeah it says on on steam it's a pythonesque adventure game made from renaissance paintings mm, i wanted to say renaissance but i i'm not sure enough of my art history to be able to have said that apparently looking up on google just googling it as it's also known came out on steam on april 9th last year yeah so i a lot was happening at the time yeah I, I remember this coming out and reading about it on kotaku and thinking oh that sounds pretty good and then ah, okay not so you anything. have heard of it yes right and have you been playing it no that's what oh. i'm saying i haven't played it yet i'm right. playing something else and i can't remember what it is but i'm going to be playing this at some point soon because it just came to game pass cool and i thought it would be up your alley yeah it does look very much up my alley so what is calvary i, I know it from the the film with uh brendan gleason uh calvary is an open-air representation of the crucifixion of jesus crikey got deep and also uh, used as like a synonym for an experience of usually intense mental suffering. Crikey. So that's kind of changed my perspective on this game <laughs> that I'm going to play. Oh yeah. dear, it looked like a jaunt. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Okay, it, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it's a jaunt. Right. It looks silly. <laughs> on, the, on that clangor, what game are we playing this week, Ashley? Uh, well, let me get me let me get me notes up so I can read this out. I mean, actually, it's in its own way, quite a dark, intense affair. 
because it is this game where you play as a bounty hunter deployed to completely annihilate an entire alien species deemed a threat by the powers that be. Nope. Mm, are you sure? Give it a little more of a think. Is it Metroid? Hey, yes, it is. Yeah, it's Metroid 2. Right. On the Game Boy. And presume that's because of the new Metroid that's out? Well, Metroid Dread came out yesterday, yeah. I think it was, or last week. Yes. No, it wasn't yesterday, was it? It was last week. Last Friday, I think. And we're recording on Sunday, so it's been about, out about three days. It's in the air. People are playing it at the moment, although by the time this episode comes out, it's probably lots of people will have finished it and yeah, other people will give it off. And there'll be about seven or eight people around the world that are playing it i don't know well hopefully hopefully all all seven or eight of those people will listen to this we'll see i played this in 1998 and 1999 and i can be very specific about that because i was playing it at school during breaks and dinners on a game boy that my friend brought in oh is this the one you mentioned about when we first started that you and your friend used to play it during break times was it when you were supposed to be monitors or something yeah we were prefects in year six which is why i can say when it was we were prefects in year six which means that you got given break time and dinner time duties and and we had to do them in pairs because it was sort of dealing with people that went to the toilet during dinner because the school was locked up during dinner time and there was restricted access people had to come into the school to go to the toilets so that you would as a as a year six as an 11 year old at best you would be an enforcer for the school yeah, you, were, you were the toughs you were the bouncers on the door yeah, so yeah. From going in well, it was actually like the, the goodies i think the uh I think that's why they chose people. And the power went to your head and you decided to not do it at all and just sit and play Metroid instead? It was very uneventful, to be honest. Yeah. On dinner on dinner time break, you'd have 20 minutes out of the hour where you'd be watching the toilets, making sure people were coming in and going, coming and going without event. And by and large, it worked. It was fine. So we had plenty of time to play Game Boy. To Metroid, sir? On unimpeded yes and it is one of the best gaming experiences i remember having we played this game my friend and i he was his game boy he i didn't have a game boy at this point i didn't get it until christmas 99 when and i got it at the same time as we as as pokemon pokemon mm-hmm. red so at this point i didn't have my own he was bringing it in and introduced me to metroid this is the first metroid game that i've played and so it is basically the this is this is what set the stall for me for metroid metroid obviously listeners will be familiar with the term metroidvania we've talked about it a few times as well so i'm assuming this is a metroidvania because it's in the name in a sense yes but we will come back around to that a little bit because there's a slight is there any reason i can't do it now let me think so yes it's a metroidvania however one of the things that it gets criticized for in relation to other metroid games in particular but i suppose the genre of metroidvania in general is that it's quite a linear affair Okay. So the way this game unfolds, you are sent to SR388, a planet that is home to the Metroid species, and you are you are sent there to wipe the species out. Lovely. To to commit genocide against the Metroid. Why is that? Have they been doing bad crimes? Sort of. Again, we'll we'll pick that up in a moment, but uh, you're sent there to wipe them out. And so the process is very I mean, in the spirit of that sort of systematic killing, the game becomes quite is quite a linear thing. You go into these cave systems where the Metroid live. You find the Metroid in an area, and you kill all the Metroid in an area. Then that causes i don't really know i don't understand the physics of this but that causes the liquid whatever the liquid is whether it's acid lava 
or water, nobody knows. That causes the liquid in the caves to recede, which then exposes another area of the cave that you can go to and clear out of of metroids and you go you sort of descend further and further into the cave system right um wiping out metroids so there's very little of the backtracking and uh returning to other uh, returning to previously explored areas and okay. finding new secrets in those it's sort of cover this area go to the next area cover that area and so on and so forth and from what you said then it sounds like people <clears throat> were a, it sounds like a bit of a backlash against that perhaps not a not a backlash per se, but it's one of the reasons People are a bit that aggrieved. This, yeah, w- this game isn't terribly well thought of, and I think that that is a travesty, to be honest. But this game, in the grand scheme of Metroid, isn't thought of as one of the best. So, it's, but to me, I <laughs> I'm going to say it might be my favourite. So, to clarify for any listeners, then it's more of a platform with shooting elements than a than anything else. No, no, no. It, it's a it's an expl- it's an exploration game. Um, we're going to get to this. You did you two paragraphs in already off the rails because that's just how Chris does it. He's a bad man. We should all lambast him. If you can find his private uh, social media, please do. <laughs> please don't. He's a bad man. He's a bad man. <clears throat> I'm going to skip back to try and get this back onto where I the way I wanted it to go. So my friend used to bring it in, and uh, this was actually you know people people not in the know have lots of terrible things to say, or, or at least then had lots of terrible things to say about the social aspects of, of games and how how it caused people to do bad things. Yeah, This game caused me to make a good friend, which, you know, people don't really talk about, do they? Nah, it's easy to focus on the negatives. It, it very much is. I knew my this friend. I knew this friend. We'd been in class together for three years at that point in the same class. And I knew him, but I didn't really know him. And through these shared Game Boy experiences we got to know each other quite well and found out that we had a fair few bits in common and were fast friends for the rest of that year unfortunately we went to separate schools and didn't see each other again properly for five years then we went to the same college and similarly got on very well I think Uh, if you're out there and you disagree with that narrative uh, unnamed person please do (laughs) let me know I think most of the friends I had at primary school were it was formed over talking about video games as well Mm. Mm. This this is one of the this is one of the only ones that I can think of. All the other people that I was friends, friends with, we didn't really have games in common, but this person did. And he was also the person that I played A Bug's Life with on the PlayStation 1, which is a game that will come up later in, in the series and uh, is a very good experience, as I remember it. Yes. You're looking askance. No, uh, I had A Bug's Life as well. I got it through... Um, very unusual means. It's never said I. It's it, it's a game I want to cover at some point. Is this soon the one well. that you won? Is oh. this one of your many winnings? Okay, yeah, there you go. Spoiler alert. Is this the one where you went to Florida? Yeah, yeah. You won a PlayStation and a trip to Florida and Bugs Life. Yeah, yeah. Great resentment. Sorry. Anyway, the fact you okay, remembered not... that from wherever I told you. Have you played any other Metroid games then? Yeah, I've played all sorts of Metroid games. I've played I, the only one that I can think of that I haven't played is the first Metroid. So this, I said, this is the introduction to the series that that I had at this point in in ninety eight ninety nine. Metroid Super Metroid would have been out, and I think a lot of people would say that that is their go to two D Metroid game. Is that the third Certainly one from this era? Presumably, yes, it is. Right, yeah. Okay. So it was it was Metroid on the NES, Metroid Two on the Game Boy, and Super Metroid on the on the Super Nintendo. Interestingly, I think this is a full on sequel 
uh, with very good high production values and intrinsic story elements that continue on into future iterations. That's clever. That was put on the Game Boy. Mm. And I don't know that that's usual. If you look at how, how Nintendo was sort of approaching Game Boy entries for their series, you had Super Mario World on the Super Nintendo and you had Super Mario Land on the soup on the Game Boy, and they were treated so like they were keeping things very separate. Completely, the Mario Land games were, were very; they were a lot more fantastical than on the the SNES, weren't they? Like, I think Mario Land Two had some very strange elements to it. Yeah, I can see what you're saying completely uh, there. It was a little bit more out there, yeah, and a bit more maybe experimental. In Super Mario Land, there's like a an Egyptian themed, yeah. Level. And the music is all Egyptian themes as well. well I think um, Maryland 2 is the one with Wario. And I remember one of the worlds was a giant Mario. And you each level yeah. was in a different part of the giant Mario. I remember yeah, that very clearly. So that game has things in common with Metroid, to be honest, or, Me- or Metroid 2 and the Game Boy. Because you had Super Mario Land. Super Mario Land was, if people think of the Game Boy, they probably think of quite rudimentary graphics. And mm. Mario Land 2, Six Golden Coins it was called, that the graphics on that were fun, phenomenal. It, they there were these little cartoon sprites that had fully featured faces and looked really cartoony and, and gorgeous. I loved the way that that was uh, was represented. I loved the I loved the way that game looked. And Metroid Two is the same. Metroid Two has very, as I think I've said already, high production values, especially in. I was going to say especially in the graphical department, but actually in all departments from the from what I've read up. But I do remember this game, to me, to my eyes, at, at 10 years old, looking just amazing and being mar- and marvelling over it because I've, I'd played Game Boys before. I'd played Tetris. I'd played Super Mario Land. I'd played the Staples, and but I'd never played anything that quite took things, that took the quality quite to the level that, Super, uh, that Metroid 2 does. So that was a that was a thing in itself. Right. The fact that this game that was handheld on the Game Boy looked like something I might play on the NES or the SNES. So f- from the fact you've said that the, the plot of it then fits in with the, the other Metroids and the fact it looks so good, was this something that, that something that Nintendo chucked a lot of money at then? I've no idea how much it costs. Right. I I didn't look into that. What I will what I can what I do know is that the producer was Gunpei Yokoi. And Gunpei Yokoi was the creator, the designer of the Game Boy. So it had, it, oh, wow. it, it, was, it was a head honcho. And he, he had a hand in the Metroid series as a whole um, and the Super Mario Brothers series and, and in uh, hardware development uh, process as well. He was instrumental, I think, in the Game & Watch series as well. So he was, and he helmed this. Um, he might also be one of the reasons that the quality was so high and, and why it was so well executed on the Game Boy because obviously he would know, having designed that system, he would know that system inside out mm. and know how to get the most out of it. So, uh, And they certainly do. Graphically, it looked lovely and it made a real impression on me. When was the last time you played it then? 1998 to 1999. So, so literally over 20 years then since you yes. last played it, right. Mm. In a sense, anyway, because there was, and again, this is not in the order that I was going to take it, tackle it, but uh, there was a there was a remake that was released on the 3DS oh, in okay. about 2017, I think. It was called Samus Returns, 
and that was a like a two and a half D remake mm-hmm. of the original game. At the same time, or or slightly before, in fact, in two thousand and sixteen, there was a fan made game called A Two M R. Sorry, A M Two R, and A M Two R stands for another Metroid Two remake. Because <laughs> at the time, there were multiple remakes in um, in existence of the of Metroid Two official. I ones. think it was. Hmm? official or unofficial unofficial fan-made remakes yeah there were multiple remakes in in the works um i don't think anyone knew that nintendo were planning to release a remake in 2017 but that's what they did obviously all the other ones were hit with dmca notices and were taken down off the internet scrubbed clean so i don't know how easy am2r is to find but uh there is a possibility that i might have seen it in action Okay. And it is really good. As a remake, it's, it's fantastic. It has this very cartoony feel to it in the way that the animation is executed that really works for the series. And it, it sort of brings it in line with the Game Boy Advance entries such as Metroid Fusion in terms of aesthetics, in terms of the way it looks. They also revamp the music and the music. I actually think that the music, it, it's not really to my taste, the music. It's, it's sort of light jazzy, mm. um, slightly lacking in character, I think. However, the music is something that I don't remember from the, the original game. Everything that I can say about the music is is stuff that I've gathered from my research. Did you play um, it through on, on, on mute, hiding in the, the cloakroom or something? I, hon- I honestly don't know. I really don't know. I, I've listened to some of the music to prepare for today, and I do sort of remember snip, sort of snippets or half-hazy ha- remem- memories. Um, I was 10. And I'm 33 yeah. now, so it's 23 years ago. Maybe that's one of the reasons. The music sounds intriguing, though, and I'm really—it's actually one of the things that I'm most looking forward to. Curiously, um, do you know Game Makers Toolkit? Nope. Game Makers Toolkit is a really excellent YouTube channel. Their bread and butter is to look at design, game design, and how games are put together, and thinking that goes into how games come out the way they come out. That sounds Metroid, genuinely very interesting. It's fantastic. Yeah. I can't believe I haven't uh, re- recommended it to you. It's hugely popular and hugely well known, so I'm surprised it's hidden uh, below your radar. If it's nothing to do with um, how food's made, it won't, won't be on my radar, unfortunately. Or, yeah, or he factories. Talk too, I like factories. Oh, right, okay. He doesn't yeah, talk too much v- about Sonic Vianetta, either, so. How Vianetta's made, that's that's amazing. I, I'm sure it is. I, I assume that it's just ice cream and chocolate that is extruded out of various <laughs> rectangular holes. Yeah, but calling it extruded just up. makes it sound offensive and grotesque. It's, it sounds it's, fascinating. It's very lovely. So, yeah, all right. Okay. Or, or glass-blowing ones, they're nice. Anyway, carry on. Game Makers Toolkit, they um, they, they cover all sorts of game design um, angles. They, they're they really good, go into a lot of detail, break things down in uh, really you unique and interesting ways they've got a great way of thinking about games they're also big on accessibility and uh, make a lot of great points on accessibility in gaming and how things could be done better how when and and highlight when things are doing are being done well now um in 2017 they made appropriately they made a video about metroid 2 comparing it to the two remakes that had uh, most recently sort of come to the fore, the Nintendo official one and uh, AM2R. And and that video is highly recommended. It's really interesting. Lots of insight in, in there. Uh, one of the things that it picks up on is the music. And they point to how the music went a long way towards giving the the game it's just like a really distinctive character and and tone it almost sounds like the music is one of the most important elements of the game and so it's strange to me that i don't remember it but as i say it was 23 years ago what they say 
though is that there are the game the music is at times it's sort of the light airy adventurous sort of affair that you might expect from a and a, a game boy adventure if you think again like the jaunty tunes yeah. from mario land zelda or, or zelda yeah. yeah um i can instantly super mario land you can finish in 20 minutes and i very really? recently did that yes yeah um i did that recently i just ran through it in an evening wow. and the music in it is phenomenal and so memorable and i think i know every single song like right. i could i could actually i could i could hum them to you now i, I uh could my way through them anyway I used to live uh, opposite someone who had the the vinyl. I, I, I think it was the soundtrack of Maryland. I think it was that there was some sort of song release based on it, where someone rapped over elements of it. Some I mean, that of, sounds that sounds all right. Yeah, some sort of weird, you know, early nineties Nintendo trying to be down with the kids or something, if I remember correctly. Mm, I'd be interested in hearing that. Yeah, uh, that was a slight aside because the music, the music in Metroid Two, it has that in moments, but at the same time, it also it dips into absolute silence at points and also has this quite eerie sort of plinky uh, computerized minimalist horror music okay for lack of a better word and and there are moments in the game that are actually quite eerie and foreboding and a lot a large part of that is down to the music hmm. um they point as well to the last sequence i don't know if you not played metroid 2 uh well this seems like a good point to jump in and say the only metro game i've ever played was when someone lent me the version that appeared on the wii and i absolutely hated it right okay that's my only experience with any metro game at all i mean that's interesting i haven't really played other m other m i own i got it i got other it's much maligned other m is not very well regarded People don't like Other M by and large. Well, I know Metro is one of those series that everyone raves about. So I feel a bit remiss that I've never, you know, kind of tried to be beyond that. I think I was quite stung. I think I was stung quite badly by my experience with the Wii version and just haven't felt the need to or compulsion to explore further. So mm. I'm interested to try this one tonight just to see if I can Good. Get, yeah. get some headway with it. The 2D games are better. I know when I say 2D... I mean the 2D games. I don't mean the, the games that are presented in 2D but are uh, 3D. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. Other M. Other M has 3D polygonal assets. The Game Boy Advance games, the Game Boy games, and the Super Nintendo game at the very least, as far as I'm concerned, they are the best Metroids. And I know that there will be people out there crying out loud that Metroid Prime is up there. And I can understand that, but I never really personally got into that series. I couldn't connect with it. And I own... Because I've got a problem... I own all three of those games twice. It's me- it's legitimately. It's Metro Prime a subseries. Metro Prime is the 3D series made by Retro Studios. Right. And were they on the GameCube or N64 or what? For the GameCube and then the Wii, because the third one came out on the Wii. They take the Metroid idea and they apply it to a fully 3D explorable world. Right. They're okay, but I never got to grips with them. Everybody, everybody. The whole world, you included, even though you've never played them, everybody would probably say that they are the best iteration of Metroid. Mm-hmm. I personally, and I can't emphasize that enough, I personally disagree. Personally disagree. I really, really like the Metroid series in 2D with 2D sprites. I like Metroid Fusion on the Game Boy Advance. You'll be unsurprised to hear. I like Metroid 2. 
and I like Super Metroid. They are my three favourite Metroid games. So how, how many Metroid games are there in total, then, if you include Metroid Prime? That is a good question that I do not know the answer to. I, I, I thought there were generally only about five or six a handful it sounds like there's a lot more there are more than that i think yeah so metroid dread is is metroid 5 like it is if you talk about the entries into the 2d metroid series because there's a distinction between metroid and metroid prime and so there's metroid on the nes there's metroid 2 on the game boy super metroid on the snes metroid fusion on the game boy advance which is another main entry on a handheld and then metroid dread so that's five there Then there's Metroid Prime 1, 2, and 3, and Metroid Prime 4 is in development. And then there's Metroid Prime Hunters, which was a massive game, like really popular game on the DS, on the original DS. And it was multiplayer, so you'd get together online or in person, and you would take on the role of one of many hunters, and you would hunt each other down. Right. It was huge, like really popular on the DS, really, really popular. Never heard of it. Oh, there's also Federation Force which is a another much maligned entry in the like side entry. People thought that they were going to hear about a Metroid Prime tr- trilogy remake for the Switch, and instead they were told that they were getting Metroid Prime Federation Force, which didn't have Samus Aran, who's the main character, in it at all, and it was all a big old mess. I noticed that's a lady. It is a lady, yes. I, I know there was some... That- Controversy, that, yeah. well, not controversy. I know there was there was something about how at the end of one of the games it turns out that it's a lady who'd been controlling the whole time, and people were a bit like, Ooh. yeah, I think that was the first one. And therefore, I haven't again. I haven't right. sort of gone out of my way to find out about that because it's not this game. Um, I think but the, yes, the controversy there was, is is that oh, I was playing a girl the whole time. Twist. There is an element of that. I think when she actually reveals herself, she's slightly scantily clad oh as well okay. but i can't remember so don't quote me on that um i want to read uh, one of the things one of the references that game makers toolkit makes in their video on this is uh, to a to an article and the article is called a maze of murderscapes it's all about this game in particular metroid 2 and there's a section that is about gaming in general and uh, about the music in particular here and i just wanted to read it to you because I, I just thought it was a really fair point and it's also going to lead on to talking about what this game actually is, is it says when i hand metroid 2 to most people they don't stick around for the title music adverse reactions aren't uncommon they never finish the game i feel their reactions are a testament to one of metroid 2's observable tenets if you don't stick around through the hard times you won't cherish the pleasant times as much metroid 2's music is unaccommodating and discomforting because it's reflective of the premise of exploring outer space and alien worlds games should be uncomfortable if they have purpose if they're handled with tact and emotional intelligence too often games are about endless pleasure loops the moment we're frustrated or confused we're taught to see this as a flaw because video game tastemakers of yore sold us the toxic myth that fun is paramount what is fun i honestly don't know or care games are games about killing should probably make you uncomfortable they shouldn't be carefully crafted to be pleasant metroid 2 is openly about killing it makes me uncomfortable with wordless specificity this is one of the game game saving graces oh that article is a a fantastic article and it should be one of the things that we share with people Mm -hmm. in the aftermath of releasing this episode but that in particular i think is a really insightful comment and also speaks of the quality of the music as well but i want to loop back around to the fact that this game is about genocide Mm. it's about somebody going to a planet to wipe out a species the reason she's doing that is because the metroids in the first game were were co-opted by a, a bunch of 
they're called the space pirates i think in the first game uh they're your bat they're the baddies and the metroids are, are sort of co-opted as a weapon of war but they're like they're basically attack dogs but because these are semi-primitive but very aggressive animals who who the space pirates have taken and gone we're going to use you for our own ends and the response from this space federation that um that samus represents the response is for them to go out of their way to destroy the entire species it's a bit of an overreaction it's a it's quite a big overreaction yeah and i think at the time it was sort of one of those it was a short hand way to get to the game play loop that they wanted which was you go in you find the metroids you kill the metroids that you kill enough and then you get to the new the next area and so on and so forth but actually it wasn't terribly well thought through and they have since they've since reflected on that so metroid fusion fusion sees you going back to the same planet and what you find is because you've killed off all the metroids you've completely buggered up the ecosystem and you've left this massive niche a predator like the metroids Uh, to fill and you then you end up with this entity this this species that has filled the niche that the metroids did that has become worse than the metroids actions have consequences yeah exactly and this is these games are sort of what about 15 20 years between each other metroid fusion metroid uh 2 and i quite like that i quite like Mm. that they've taken this idea that they maybe accidentally uh, deployed in metroid 2 without really t- thinking too much about it and then they've they've reflected on it 15 20 years later in a sequel to the game yeah i just like that and i wanted to point to it and and it comes up in this article as well the article does a very good job of talking about about the series as a whole about the game in particular i like the fact it mentions the the philosophical side of that that in games we're conditioned i suppose to go in and kill or shoot or whatever yeah. these enemies but you know it, is that okay yeah, exactly. And this game, as as much fun as Metroid 2 is, I do now, and this is not something that came up, as you can imagine, as a 10-year-old playing it in the hall, uh, in the school corridors. I, I thought, when as soon as I started thinking about this game, I was like, that sounds wrong. That sounds not okay. I don't know how, how did that possibly come about? But then so many games are based around just oh, mass yeah. murder well, of, I, a, of a kind. I had a similar experience with covered it in an earlier episode but with soleil because that's based mm. on the whole idea of these monsters, the monsters that are attacking thing, yeah. and mm. there's, a, there's a bit in that and i played that when i was in year six as well so i had a similar quandary to, at the to time you. Mm. well i didn't have that quandary so maybe that's speak i mean suppose soleil's tackling it a little bit more up front than metroid yeah. 2 is and and it also took 15 years uh to come back around mm. to talk about the uh, the whole idea but i didn't it just didn't occur to me that at the time as a 10 year old boy it didn't occur to me that there were questionable aspects to going and wiping out a whole species just because but and and not even through any fault of their own because they were co-opted it's like saying we have to kill all dogs because they've been used as attack dogs or something yeah you know I don't know. I don't know. It's just something interesting to think about, an interesting part of the game. To lighten things up before we actually play it, there are things in Metroid 2 that were introduced in Metroid 2 and have stuck around, have become staples of the series. So again, I can't think of another, I'm sure they exist, but I can't think of another handheld entry of a series that has then set the formula or or set up many multiples of, say, items or 
staples in the way that this one has so um you you might but you haven't played a metro game so none of these will matter to you uh but the spider ball that became a, a staple in future games and the plasma beam the spacer beam they they came up in multiple future games the space jump that was another thing that came up and was introduced here and the spring ball that was also introduced here another thing that was introduced here was the design for uh, Samus's Varia suit. Yeah, no, I, don't. I like your face. No, I know you don't, but you do actually because it. It's you know what suit, Samus looks the like. The thing that she wears. You? Yeah. Yes, it is. Well, it isn't. It isn't. Tell me what can you can you describe Samus? Uh, she wears. Is it reticulated? That bluish suit. It's not blue. Not not the standard. Uh, mm, okay. I- image of her. It's orange and red. Usually. Yeah, that, that's, that's what that's, people would say. That's what I meant. Yeah. You meant orange and red and not blue. Yeah, yeah. You got confused between orange and red and blue. Yeah, I think so. I had a momentary lapse. Right. Yeah, okay. So the Varia suit is a is a version of her suit. She has the power... In the first game on the NES, she has the power suit and she has the Varia suit, spelt V-A-R-I-A. And the Varia suit is like the upgraded suit that you find a part way through the game and it gives you extra damage, defense or whatever. And... In this game, in that game, the difference between the power suit and the Varia suit was just the color scheme. In this game, because they didn't have a color screen, they had to actually create some kind of visual definition between ah, the two suits clever. so that you knew which one you were wearing. And the, the thing that they came up with was these basically high-tech shoulder pads. Yeah. So when, when you see Samus in a lot of the imagery, in even in things like Smash Brothers, her the suit she's wearing is the Varia suit. It's the one with the rounded shoulders. And that was introduced here. Simply because so, of the graphical limitations of the Game Boy. Yes. Yeah, mm. that's correct. And normally, normal people that aren't Chris, that's what they think of. That's the suit that they would think of um, when they think of Metroid. Yeah, but even the, the media that, that Samus has appeared in, such as Smash Brothers, I don't like fighting games, so I've not played Smash no. Brothers. So I, I, it is all, it's all lost on me. Fair enough. That is fair enough. I accept that premise. But uh, if you see Samus anywhere, usually, even even in like when they're selling metroid games not this one not metroid dread incidentally the most recent iteration but most most of the time she's represented in this varia suit incidentally the the name for the varia suit comes from a mistranslation of barrier so varia (laughs) was supposed to be barrier right and it was mistranslated and became varia so there we go the person translating have a cold i have no idea sorry verse sounds like but if you got a blocked nose that was the what i was getting out there just no I, oh no i know yeah it was bad it was terrible sorry i'm actually i'm go. not sorry i'm not sorry at all it's just crossed my mind you said that you played this in 98 99 when did the game first release it came out way way back in 1991 right wow i didn't realize this but it came out first in north america and then later in japan and europe because it came out in 92 in japan and europe oh I, I didn't I didn't find a reason for that. Unusual. But oh, it is unusual. You'd expect it to have come out in Japan first, wouldn't you? So basically going into it, we've got to bear in mind that this is a product of 1992 and to not hold that against it, but just bear it in mind while we're sampling it tonight. I suppose so, but I genuinely don't think that we're going to need to bear that in mind because I think it's going to... Th- I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I think that the quality is going to be top-notch. It's going to blow my various suits off. I hope so. See you later.
Magical Marvelous Metroid. Okay. At least it wasn't some silly pun, I yeah. suppose. Hmm. Yeah. Good, in it? Yeah. Really, really good. That was fantastic. So many positives and so few negatives, which was a nice really? way to start the second half. Yeah. Let's bang out the negatives then. Get them out of the way. It's not a massive negative. But the, so the, the plot of the game is that... Um, Samus is dropped into this on this planet as we talked about in the first half and then has to navigate through this series of caverns and caves to try and eradicate all the Metroids and both of us said that during our playthroughs we got lost yeah which I found a little bit frustrating but I think it's okay because that's what the game is and actually I think it makes sense for her to have been left there and abandoned without any support and not nothing so much as a map because presumably this is uncharted territory so they don't have a, a map so i think it's okay yeah so what you've just said is it is sort of the way that i was thinking about it as well because i did say to you oh, i'm a bit lost but i think that's okay yeah. and what was going through my head was exactly that like i'm on his alien planet and the fact that i feel a bit lost and you know, within within the bounds of the game, slightly overwhelmed by this space that I'm exploring. That was storytelling, wasn't it, really? Yeah, completely. The game was eliciting a feeling from me in response to the situations that it was putting me in. By contrast, a game that came out a few years later, uh, Metal Gear Solid, which we covered last week, I think the points at which we were both wandering around the corridors, of the, the points at which we were both wandering around these caves, I think would have been punctuated by multiple codec conversations as the game prompted us to maybe go back or, or try this corridor or what or whatever. And the fact that that wasn't there, I think was a massive positive for the game in, in a negative, mm. if that makes sense. Per, yeah. So, you, I mean, you sort of comparing it with last week and the pomposity, the bombasticness of uh, Metal Gear Solid contrasting with Metroid 2 is actually probably quite a useful one to have for, for ourselves and, and for anybody really that is thinking about either of the games. To see a game... I that, Right, let's just make it clear. We are not pretending, certainly I'm not pretending, that this is some kind of masterpiece of storytelling. <laughs> the storytelling is thin on the ground, but there's enough there to tie the game together and to explain why you are doing what you're doing, why you're where you are. And you don't really need much more than that. For, for this, anyway, for other games, maybe you need a bit more. Metal Gear Solid had too much, ge- uh, too much story and not enough game. Yeah. This has just enough story and plenty of game. And the, and the story is not getting in the way of that game. And the way the story is told is really clever as well. There's sequences where you are left to join the dots. So the example that springs to mind for me is when I've killed my first Metroid, the screen started rumbling and there were some weird sounds. I was thinking, oh, what's going on? And then I then realized that, well, not that I realized, I figured out because you'd said to me in the first half about this, that an area that was previously inaccessible because of this slime water, whatever it is, had then drained. So I went back and lo and behold, yes, that water had, had disappeared so I could get through. But there was no help text. There was nothing that popped up on screen to tell me that. That was me putting two and two together and realizing that. Similarly, there were quite mm. a few times where, as I was exploring the caves, I would find the, um, so the Metroids hatched out of eggs and I'd find the remnants of one of the shells left behind from a hatched metroid so that storytelling aspect that was telling me there's an, a metroid on the loose somewhere around here was really clever and was actually quite not scary but quite chilling because i knew that there's going to be something that's going to get me around the next corner or within yeah, the, the you on alert. Of this. yeah precisely 
I I think I well I totally agree and it, it is something that I won't keep bringing up Game Maker's Toolkit but I will emphasize the video that they made on Metroid 2 in 2017 is very well worth watching and and I'm sure we'll make that available to you um if you're listening on our Facebook or whatever which we usually do and it's something that he brought up as well Oh, okay. The fact that there's these tidbits of environmental storytelling, the fact that there is this egg that you cut, this this eggshell that is empty that has been exploded out of. The first Metroid you come across is uh, one that actually hatches out of its egg in front of you, so you know what that egg is and mm. what comes out of it. To see one that's already proffered its spawn, yeah, it puts you on edge. It puts you certainly on alert that bit at the beginning as well where you out that you outlined where you kill the first metroid and then the screen shakes and you put two and two together there is another element to that in so much as there's a bit of developer manipulation i think going on so normally in games certainly of that period it was normal it was the norm to move left to right so you come down into these caverns you're moving left to right from your ship into the caverns you drop down this very long tunnel or tube um and land on a, a sort of a mountain not a mountain but this big a mound rock mound yeah and your natural inclination as someone familiar with gaming is to go right from there so you do and you come across this place that is blocked off by hazardous liquid which then prompts you to go oh i can't go any further let me go and explore the other way so you do you find this metroid and the metroid when you kill it unlocks the place that you found the hazardous liquid so even that just the way that they use player expectations player assumptions to to push you go to go one way and then send you in the other direction and then Mm. send you the other direction again um it is really is really smart game design so i wish some people would learn some lessons even now even now there are just games that just don't don't get stuff like that the exploration as well going between those areas we both commented on how the screen transitions with samus as she goes between so it it creates a sense of continuity between the areas and the sense that it is one massive interconnected area there's no there were some times where you go off and it would fade to black and then go back again but i think that's when you kind of go into a a major area but within that it's it's constant which i liked as well yeah so there are major transitions between one space and another and that's when it fades to black i think you move from one main part of it of the cave system to another and um to contrast what or to provide a slight contrast maybe um if to what in regards to what chris is saying um zelda linked the past or when uh links awakening or something like that you would have a screen and you'll be able to move around mm-hmm. that screen and then once you reach the edge of the screen it would shift bit bodily like it would actually shift to the left or the right depending on which direction you were moving to the next screen and you would be able to move around in that and then so on and so forth and that it was sort of divided up whereas this because the camera is moving fluidly from um a- across this large space without any transitions you you really do get a sense of like wandering through these vast caverns and also sort of feeling a bit blind sort of moving through them because you don't you can't see what's coming ahead of you yeah until until you're pretty much on top of it and there are moments where again i think this is the developers just being smart you're wandering through an innocuous cave or cavern or whatever and then all of a sudden there is there's a metroid in the top in the top corner of the screen it just pops up Hmm. and you're right next to it before you know it and it's sort of like this moment where you just freeze and you go oh it's it's sort of like coming across a tiger in the middle of the jungle (laughs) 
So that's how because you would you wouldn't see it until it was too late, and that's kind of what it's like coming across a, a Metroid in Metroid Two. It's a bit like seeing out of Resident Evil, where you you turn a corridor and suddenly there's a, a zombie or a dog or whatever. Yeah, and this is being done in two D in black and white on a tiny screen in nineteen ninety one. In nineteen ninety one. Yeah. Did you, um, full disclosure, I ended up using a map I found on the internet just to get some sense of finding myself mm. around the, the caves. Did, did you do the same? Because nope. I, I was, I was no, very I impressed at how big the map is. Oh, right. I, I still don't really have any conception of, I mean, I, I can feel it through playing the game, but I wouldn't be able to tell you how the map goes together necessarily because I'm, I'm navigating through that game very much point by point and it all exists in my head whatever i can remember and it was very little i could remember like the way that the the way that some of the enemies looked and behaved and i could remember the textures on the uh, on the rocks and the the walls and things but the actual the actual layouts of the spaces were brand new to me which was nice mm. in a way and because i was enjoying that feeling of being lost i didn't bother going to find a a map because I felt like that was one of the points. Mm. So I was experiencing it the way that made sense to me, and that was to to be mapless. That negative I mentioned then, the the being lost, I remedied that by using a map, which obviously is not what the developers wanted me to do. Used as you guns and decided to not to use a map. I just I just went with it because that's the way that I played yeah, it the enough. first time, and that's also I think it just felt right to do that. I do think though, um, this is the. This is the era of map making. Mm. <laughs> you know, there were there were plenty of cartographers, amateur cartographers in their bedrooms or in this case, you know, in the back of the car or on the bus or wherever because it's handheld and you can go wherever you like with it. There were plenty of us in our bedrooms playing games, making maps. I don't know if that still exists. There have been a couple of games uh, of late in the last 10 years, maybe, that have made me return to drawing um but there are very few of them which ones uh, these days that push uh, the witness was one it wasn't map making but it was um puzzle solving so yeah. making sure that you could actually actually having to puzzle them out on a piece of paper that was quite fun mist our our foreign to mist and then mm-hmm. when, when hannah and i uh replayed the remastered version we we took to pen and paper at some points in terms of map making i can't remember the last one to be honest so it's possibly a, a a crappy point because i can't give an example no, of the it, last it, time it happened but i suppose that says how few and far between yeah these these experiences are these days and it's certainly something i used to do as well as you said in the back of the manual i'd be scrubbing down sort mm. of vague representations of the map just to help me understand what was happening in the the game yeah and I, I this is the perfect game for that i'm sure that there were many 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 people mapping out the caverns of sr388 or Yes, yeah, something like that. How how then does the game compare to what you remembered? Uh, very, very well. Like, I actually think I've come away from it with warmer feelings than I had for it because what I've got from it this time was that there are some really sublime elements to it. The The actual details on Samus, on Samus's ship, on some of the enemy models, on, on the sprites even. I, there were... There were these weird pizza-shaped things that sort of float. They fly up into the yeah. sky and they float down uh, like like flying pizzas. And they had these really big, doleful black eyes. And there, there was so much feeling, so much character that was just pressed into these characters in uh, all for this tiny little screen. And I, I don't, I, as a 10-year-old playing it on the Game Boy, I, it was lost. I just didn't realise that that detail was there or I wasn't looking for it. 20-odd years later, I can really appreciate just how much exquisite 
detail and how much quality was mm. was uh, squeezed into this product. Yeah, right, because it's fantastic. It does, it does look really good, like genuinely impressively good. You're 30 years old. And, yeah. uh, what, what about the gameplay? How does that compare to your memories? Marvellous. I Again, it's exactly the same as I... I remember it feeling the the controls are nice. I don't know yeah, what else to say beyond that. Yeah. You you did say that it's a little bit finicky, sort of rolling up and then that extra press to turn into the spider ball. But in terms of what the Game Boy was Game hampered Boy, with in two, terms two of buttons. control inputs, exactly. I think they made a fist of it, and they in lesser hands that control scheme could have been a mess. Yeah. So I applaud them personally. Don't know about you. And what's about the the music? Something you said you didn't experience back in the day, but has has is rated very highly. How did that uh, fare? Yeah, you tell me because you you had some fairly strong feelings. I thought on the on the music, the, the music I thought was very very effective. The intro screen, the smash screen, whatever you call it, at the start where you press start, had it was quite creepy, quite ethereal, atmospheric. Mm. And you mentioned in the first half about the game developer tool video talking about the music, and it was handled really effectively as you got deeper into the caves. There was one point where the music disappeared completely, apart from a few little flashes or whatever you want to call them and it was very atmospheric not not creepy just it it suggested that there was some element of me being lost perhaps or or something and i really liked that i thought it was so effective and powerful it's a very simple technique yeah totally agree i was expecting it i was anticipating it because as i'd uncovered through that game makers toolkit video and through sr holywell's article the music is is fantastic and they really play around with, again, expectations yeah. and feeling, as you would expect from music, because there is a great deal of emo- emotional range that can be uh, elicited through through sound. They try and run the gamut here of all of them and, and do so very well. What is surprising is that they're doing that on a Game Boy again. I just can't believe mm. how how much they do with so little. It really puts other games to shame. It, I... Oh, man, I can think of some real shockers on the Game Boy. And it's like, what were you doing? This is what you could have done. Why weren't they more, why weren't they more like this? Or why wasn't, why weren't they more at the fore, these, these great, great games? And on that note as well, they also managed to create a game that had a save system. So there were consoles as you, mm. as you went through the caves and caverns that you could save the game at instantly. And that was also really good, just a very simple save system. But the fact that it had that capability, we, we talked before about cartridges, sometimes the saves were so big that it was very limited or that back in 1991, perhaps it was uh, games that had save systems were few and far between because of the nature of the cartridge. So again, the fact that it had that is really impressive. Yeah, I, I can't remember exactly how many there are on the Nintendo Entertainment System, but it's, um, and, and we are moving into the era of the Super Nintendo at this point in 1991. So saves were becoming more prolific, but at this point, I, and again on the Game Boy, I, I don't know how many games on the Game Boy in 1991 would have had a save system, but this one did. And it was certainly the first one that I came across. So it was novel to me Mm. at the time. It's interesting that you've sort of picked up on it as well, because presumably that means that you would have had the same reaction had you had a a game that could save on the Game Boy. Is that... Yeah, well, obviously my my counterpoint to that is the the Game Gear. And I had obviously quite a few games for that. And that was something that was, uh, I think, a little bit after the the Game Boy, but not many of the games, Mm. I think, on the Game Gear had, had save 
um, systems. I mean, Tales of Adventure, which we talked about way back when, that used a password system, but not a save system, which is obviously a lot more fluid and, and easier. No, I, I can't speak authoritatively in any manner on save systems on the Game Boy, unfortunately. But yes, this one this one does have one. There you go. <laughs> you talked uh, while we were playing as well about the sad story about the, uh, the chap that created it and what happened to him after this came out. Oh yeah, I don't know whether they're related, but I was just talking to you about Gunpei Okoi, who produced this game and was the designer for the Game Boy. He was part of R&D 1, which is a very prestigious team inside. Yep, you, you're looking like you know R&D 1, and we've talked about they, it multiple times. They've we talked about a few weeks ago for WarioWare, is that right? I think we did, yeah. yeah. That obviously came quite a while after this. Yeah. Um, and, and unfortunately, after Gunpei Yukoi, who died in 1997, he produced this. He designed the Game Boy. He went on to design the Virtual Boy. And from... I don't know where the stories come from, but the stories are that he was instrumental in designing the Virtual Boy, that they started off with quite a high-end virtual reality machine, a very capable thing that Nintendo sort of paired back and paired back and paired back until it felt cheap and didn't really work the way that Gunpei Yukoi had seen it working. Then Nintendo as a company shifted their focus to the Nintendo 64 and decided that they just wanted the Virtual Boy off the off the shop floor. They wanted they wanted done with it and they pushed it out the door in about 95 I think it was yeah, or 96. I think so. Um, and it was absolute failure, but not even not even just a failure. It was really, really, it, it went down very badly. It was causing severe headaches in people. I think it might have caused epileptic fits in in a, a small number of people, or maybe a large number. I don't know. But it was notoriously bad. It's the sort of thing. Just just for context, my uh, godson, who is uh, nine. Um, it, he's really into games. He knows a lot about the virtual. I think he's watched some YouTube videos about it. So I think it's it's got a reputation for being Nintendo's folly and has got mm. quite an interest because of that. Yeah, I mean, it's the sort of thing that if they hadn't have been a healthy company, would have sunk them. Yeah, completely. So, uh, yeah. And, and Gunpei Yukoi was instrumental in the design of that system. He did not want it released. That was how bad badly he felt about it. He left the company. He left Nintendo. I don't know whether it was related. I wouldn't really blame him. He, he started his own company, and then within two years, he died. Well, actually, I think he died in a car crash, so uh, I don't think that they're related. But it's just quite a tragic end, really, for somebody who was so instrumental in, in such a large amount of the success that Nintendo enjoyed in the 80s and the 90s. Key question to finish off then, is this game still available? If so, how much? What's the what's the haps? Uh, it's hard to come by, probably. I don't know how you would get hold of it personally, uh, other than buying a cartridge. I haven't checked the prices. You can't... You can probably buy it on the 3DS. I would imagine it's available on the 3DS. I don't know whether it was available on previous iterations of the Virtual Console. I do know that if you are going to play it, you want to probably get hold of a Game Boy Color at the same time. This game, when the Game Boy Color was um, developed, they... I don't know how they did it, but software side or hard, it was hardwired into the Game Boy Color that it would have a Metroid 2 palette. Really? Specially designed, yeah, specially designed for Metroid 2 so that when you play it on the Game Boy Color, it looks fabulous. Like you can imagine, really, can't you? Because it looks good enough in, in 
black and white. So in the Game Boy Color, they specifically code into the hardware. So if you put in this one game, it would automatically I, use this color scheme. I don't think that it was just for one game. I think they did oh, okay. it for many multiples of games from the Game Boy, but right, this okay. one was one of them. And it were, but it was there. They didn't do it for all games. They did it for specific games. Other games, if you put an old Game Boy game into a Game Boy Color, it will sort of try its best to render it in some kind of color. I don't know how they did that or what, but uh, this one, they they went out of their way to make sure that the uh, palettes, the color palette that was used, matched up to the color palette that would be expected from uh, a Metro game. So much so that supposedly playing this game on a Game Boy Color, which I unfortunately never have done, um, makes it similar, if not I mean, very, very close to playing the NES version. Or, or sorry, the original on the NES mm-hmm. in terms of colour. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be the way to play it. it. It's a bit of a niche way to play it, I suppose. It I don't know of other ways. There is obviously Samus Returns on the 3DS, but that has its own flaws, its own follies. They, the, One of the sad things, um, it seems, is that this was designed... It, Samus Returns was published by Nintendo... And a lot of the things that were design choices were fixed as flaws oh, okay. by the by the team in Samus Returns. So they've done things like they've taken the claustrophobic screen size and they've widened it out into wide shots. So now you can sort of see where you're going and move right. around these big caverns. And it's like, mm, kind of missed the point, maybe. Um, one of the things that Game Makers Toolkit points out is that um, I, I talked to you about this off mic as well, so I should probably get it on mic. Toward, there, there's environmental storytelling all over. You, you mentioned the eggs. As you get further and further into the caverns, something somewhat unexpected, I think, in terms of gameplay, in terms of game design happens because you start off at the top with lots of enemies. Quite, the enemies are quite prolific. The All the monsters are, are there everywhere, all, all over the place. And as you get further and further down, as you get closer to the big baddie, the Queen Metroid, there are less and less and less of these other enemies, Clever. non-Metroid enemies. And when you get into the final run towards the Metroid Queen, there aren't any. So you spend a, a significant period leading up to Metroid Queen, the bad boss, without any enemies whatsoever. So it's sort of like the Queen either has scared them away or um, or has decimated them, mm-hmm. just completely devastated the fauna in these lower down caverns. And then you fight the Queen. The end, spoilers inbound, the end of this game, you kill the Queen you find an egg that's unhatched and it hatches before your eyes and it's like this lovely it's this lovely little squishy uh, jellyfish sort of metroid like a, a cute metroid and samus decides that she's not going to kill it so oh, the, the the species mm, yeah some humanity there yes and then the end of the game is once again it's you leaving the caverns with this metroid baby in tow um, and there aren't enemies again. And there's this like this this other piece of music that's very well done. In Samus Returns, they do away with all that, and you are all guns blazing all the way through both of those sequences. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like they they just the tone, the idea of tone, just is is completely non-existent. It takes away in any, there. any nuance or or. or... Yeah potential redemption perhaps yeah. it's just there's no and, and that environmental storytelling just goes out the window they, yeah. they've 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 with one very poorly executed decision wiped 
a whole swathe, a whole swath of of characterization mm. from that game. Just in favor of making it uh, shoot shooty blast through. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a shame. And therefore, I don't think that generally Samus Returns is the version to recommend. Find the original is is my recommendation. However you do that, I don't know. Or I suppose the version that's come out on the Switch in the last few days. Oh, you mean Metroid Dread? Yeah. Well, they are a story. These games, 2D Metroid games, tell a story from Metroid on the NES through Metroid 2, Super Metroid, Metroid Fusion, uh, and Metroid Dread. That is your five Metroid games that tell a continuous story from start to finish. Well, not from start to finish. I don't know actually what happens at the end of Dread or whether it's the end or what, but they are a continuous story. So yeah, I'd recommend playing them all in order, even though I haven't. And even though it's very difficult to do so. Yep. Them's the breaks. Good things aren't always easy. So they say. Thank you very much for listening. If you've enjoyed listening, please make sure you come and join us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And like, share, subscribe, rate, and review. And we'll see you next week for episode 84. 84! I mean, bye! Bye. Bye.